With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. My name is Jeff, and today Aaron and Greg and I are going to be talking about mountain bike tourism. So mountain bike tourism seems to be a hot topic these days with a lot of different cities and towns and even states and countries getting in on the game trying to draw mountain bike tourists to their location. So I want to start off by asking a question that centers on mountain bikers, but why why should we travel to ride our bikes when there are so many great trails that a lot of us already have nearby? As I say, variety is the spice of life. You know, anything can get stale if you do it for long enough. Even the single best trail, if that's the only trail you ever ride, like that can get old pretty quickly. I just personally love traveling to check out new trails because everywhere you go, it's just a little bit different. The rocks are different. The roots are different. The soil's different. Maybe the, the climate zone you're riding in is different. The people you're encountering are different. I just think there's immense value to just experiencing differences both in mountain biking and in cultures across the U.S. and, and abroad. And uh, I did write a column on this too, so be sure to check that out. It's my over beer column about why I travel with my mountain bike. I would just add that it's fun. So, you know, riding new trails is, you know, as Greg mentioned, it's going to be a little bit different than what you've got at home, and mountain biking's fun, so mountain biking somewhere new is also going to be fun. Yeah, absolutely. It is interesting, though, because it seems like there's a lot of competition these days. You know, like I said, local trails are getting better and better. um, And we're seeing some evidence that people are kind of sticking close to home uh, for a lot of their rides just because their local trails are great. And, you know, we, we notice that at some of the North Georgia trails, they just don't seem to get as much traffic as they used to. Not because they aren't great trails and worth traveling to. It's just... You know, when you've got other demands on your time and things um, and good trails close by, that's sometimes a good option. So what that ultimately means, though, I guess, is that uh, for a mountain bike tourism destination to work, there needs to be truly excellent or truly unique trails uh, for people to check out. So I think one of the big questions that a lot of folks have, especially those who are trying to attract mountain bike tourists or thinking about attracting mountain bike tourists is how much of an impact does mountain biking tourism have on a local economy? So this is a question I ask um, every time I go on a destination feature trip, which is is pretty frequently. Um, but the interesting thing is that rarely does a destination ever have a good answer, even if they're promoting mountain bike tourism. You know, they may say, oh, like hotel room occupancy grew by this much, you know, or we're selling this many more lift tickets, but most of these metrics, it's, it's really difficult to measure total impact of mountain bikers on a destination. And there have been some studies in certain areas that have tracked this over time. But even those studies, you know, if you're actually going to do study, by the time it comes out, it's already, it's already dated, right? You know, mountain bike tourism is changing so rapidly that I think it's tough to give numbers. But still, anecdotally, at least, we can ta- say that the impact can be substantial, 
there are many towns that we're going to end up talking about that have gone from uh, ghost towns to booming tourism hubs almost entirely due to mountain biking. Uh, I think a great example of this is uh, Fruta. And I bring this up because uh, Jeff mentioned in a recent podcast that something about Fruta being a sleepy little town without much to do. But uh, when I visited last spring, the downtown was absolutely packed with mountain bikers. I mean, we're talking uh, bike spaces filled, coffee shops, um, bars, restaurants, bike shops packed to the brim. And uh, that was after my ACL surgery. So I didn't even head out to the trails. You know, we were just chilling in town. And I was riding pavement, but and I've been to Fruta years before that and saw more of what Jeff saw. Basically, Fruta has changed rapidly just within the past three to five years. So um, all I'd say, this stuff changes fast and it has a big impact. Yeah, I mean, like Greg said, it's kind of hard to quantify it exactly. But mountain biking along with other forms of outdoor recreation can be a huge boost for the local economy. You know, Greg mentioned Fruta, but if you look at... The towns around Pisgah, you know, Brevard and Asheville in particular, you know, I, I started riding there around 10 years ago and you'd see plenty of other mountain bikers, but they were mostly either locals or they were riders from the region. So people from the southeast going to ride in Pisgah. And now you see people from all over the world. You know, Brevard itself has three bike shops now, like three mountain bike shops, which is pretty crazy because it's a tiny town, I think. I mean, I think the population's like 8,000 or something like that. So for a town to be able to support three mountain bike shops, like that's not, that's not all from the residents, you know, there's, there's definitely a lot of people coming from all over. So if you go to, you know, if you go to the hub, for instance, after a ride, which, you know, they moved to their new location last year and it's like 10 times the size of their, their old location, you'll see license plates from all over the country you'll see license plates from canada even so yeah i think uh they're definitely you know what exactly the impact is is hard to quantify but there certainly can be one if the the trails are good enough yeah we did our own sort of research on this and asked a bunch of mountain bikers you know how much they typically spend on a trip and uh, the number we came up with was about 380 bucks uh, for one trip and so you know, if you figure you attract a hundred mountain bikers, that's that's forty thousand dollars. And then not only that, a lot of these numbers will be multiplied. So, you know, the local coffee shop is able to hire a worker, and that worker lives in the community. So they end up spending their wages and putting them back into the economy. So there's a multiplying factor as well on you know what the mountain biker spends versus the full impact to the local economy. So, yeah, clearly. If you're talking hundreds of mountain bikers, that's a pretty good impact. But if you're talking thousands, uh, you know, we're talking multiple millions of dollars here. So who typically stands to gain the most from mountain bike tourism sort of in your experience? Well, definitely any local businesses, you know, so any kind of lodging, any hotels or, you know, I mean, even Airbnb, like there's, you know, people who live there, maybe have a vacation home somewhere can rent their place out, you know, restaurants, any kind of retailers, coffee shops, breweries, bike shops, basically anyone in the uh, community could stand to benefit, you know, gas stations, whatever, because you're going to, once you're there, you're going to need things, you know, you're going to need food, you're going to need something to drink, you're going to need somewhere to stay. So, um, you know, you can't find all those things out on the trail necessarily. So at some point, you're going to have to come back into town and 
and uh, buy those things. Not much to add to that aside from like certain people are going to do really well above and beyond um, the average. So if you've got like a brewery that has food and has a good location, you're going to make a killing off of mountain bikers. Um, and another pers- uh, group we didn't mention uh, would be like tour operators or guides. So um, lots of times people do take guides or a shuttle service or something of that nature. That type of business is like 100% dependent on like these tourism people. So that type of business only exists with a certain level of tourism. Right. Good point. So beyond sort of the economic benefits, what are some other uh, reasons that communities might want to target mountain bike tourism? So mountain bikers are on average a pretty affluent bunch. So uh, as Jeff mentioned, we've run our own surveys to survey our audience and figure out what our audience, who our audience is. And uh, we found, especially on the economic levels, it's pretty much in line with the mountain biking average compared to other survey data, which is to say uh, most mountain bike households make six-figure income um, across the household. Um, it could be even more than that, but that's sort of like the average is over 100K. Most mountain bikers also have four-year college degree, and there's a high percentage that also have a postgraduate degree on top of that. So mountain bikers are a good group to target because they, they have money to spend, honestly. You know, they have money to travel. They have time. Maybe they have, like, vacation days to spend. So it's a good group to target just simply for that purpose. And as a result of sort of being in that demographic, uh, lots of places assume they're going to be pretty well behaved. You know, <laughs> it's interesting. Like mountain biking has sort of this, um, these roots in this like renegade culture, but that's not necessarily like who are mountain bikers today by and large, you know, so, uh, which I find that interesting. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. One of the other things that we're seeing is that mountain bike tourism is replacing sort of less desirable industries. Um, a lot of, particularly like extraction type industries. So areas where there was formerly logging or mining or things like that, that were kind of destroying the land. Uh, mountain biking is coming back in and it's, it's really green compared to that. You know, it's ecotourism. Um, it's all about the, these pristine environments. And so for a lot of communities, it's a way to sort of clean up their image and their overall sort of location. Right. And it may be a way to use land that they couldn't otherwise, you know, like for instance, uh, I know DuPont in North Carolina was, I think they made like x-ray film or something there. So it was basically like a kind of toxic waste dump and you couldn't do a whole lot else with it. So, you know, they cleaned it up and built trails there. I think similar kind of situation in um, Anniston, Alabama, where Coldwater Mountain is, you know, that was uh, part of the Montesano chemical company. So, you know, I, I think there's... You know, it's like, well, you have this land, you can't build on it for whatever reason. So, you know, why don't we throw some trails on it and see where it goes? Yeah, hopefully the dust we kick up isn't too toxic. (laughs) (laughs) Just ride at the front and you'll be okay. (laughs) So as I was thinking about this topic, hopefully I don't take this podcast in the wrong direction. But I have this theory that, you know, so we're talking about mountain biking tourism. And lots of times I think we assume like the trails are built for the tourists. But it seems to me that building trails always has a dual purpose. Like it could bring people to town and that's great. But uh, most of the time, the people who are building the trails are the locals themselves. You know, they're the ones that are working through the system. You know, they're planning, they're um, they're digging, they're funding. And 
I think for most of those people, they consider building the trails as creating like a community resource for them, their friends, and the people that live there. And then lots of times, like the tourism comes after that, and people like the tourism agencies or like the bike shops realize, hey, this this is bringing people now. Maybe we can capitalize on this even more. So it becomes sort of a win-win scenario. So sometimes I wonder if like these trail systems have been developed more for the community and then the tourism comes after that. So it's not necessarily like mountain towns. Sometimes this hap- does happen sometimes where towns are like, hey, we need to build a trail system. But other times they're like, hey, we have this great resource. How about we turn this into our tourism draw? Yeah. Yeah, I think it can go both ways as well. So towns that do develop initially for tourism may find that later it helps them attract tech workers or other industries to their town because it's a great it's a great place to live because it's good lifestyle and there are fun things to do there. I know in Colorado Springs, the Intel Corporation, this was many years ago, built a chip factory there. And one of the reasons was that they recognized that a lot of young people, a lot of tech people like to live in the mountains. They like to have that recreational opportunity. And, you know, this was pretty far outside of the sort of West Coast mold that Intel had been sort of working on. But yeah, that was that was one of their stated reasons was because there were great trails and things for outdoorsy people to do. So definitely not too far-fetched. So what are some recent examples of communities that have focused on mountain bike tourism and how has that worked out for them? Uh, Well, one I already mentioned was Aniston, Alabama, where Coldwater Mountain is. And from what I've seen, it seems to have worked out really well. You know, they're continuing to build new trail. It comes up in our, you know, when we ask people about what their favorite trails are, the surveys that we do and places that people want to go, Coldwater is you know, makes a lot of our lists. So that's pretty cool to see because it is a sleepy little town. If you go there, it's a, you know, a bunch of car dealerships basically. But, uh, I was just there a couple of weeks ago and it looks like the, you know, the downtown little strip that they have is starting to get, a, you know, more revitalized and a couple more places opening up. So, um, you know, it's still early for cold water, but, um, I think good things are happening there for sure. Yeah, Coldwater is interesting because it's a fairly easy drive from Atlanta. So already, I mean, it's not uncommon to, you know, hear friends going over there just for the day. Um, You know, if you want to go to Coldwater here in Atlanta anyway, it's pretty easy to find other folks who are heading that way, Um, which is weird because nobody used to, right? Like nobody used to go. There's no reason to go to Anniston, Alabama. And I think Coldwater is unique, too, in that. I don't know if it'll ever be a place where people go and like spend the night and like spend the weekend because it is close to such a big city, but maybe that's okay. You know, I mean, maybe as long as people are buying gas and they're getting a coffee, you know, on the way to the trailhead and then they're, you know, staying and having a beer afterward or, you know, eating some barbecue, like maybe that's, maybe that's a big impact by itself. So yeah, that'll be an interesting one to watch. You've also got places like, um, you know, Oak Ridge, Oregon, which that's another another place that uh, you know is trying to do something after the extraction industries timber have left. The yeah, the only reason you would ever go to Oak Ridge is for the trails. It's hard to get to. It's in the middle of nowhere. It's not like you can fly into Oak Ridge from anywhere. I mean, it's a tiny, tiny little town. 
but the trails are amazing. So people are willing to make the trek. Yeah. And in that situation, uh, wasn't the, the whole thing that sort of kicked it off was mountain bike, Oregon, right? They were sort of the ones that started getting Oak Ridge on the map, right? I think, I think that's accurate. So the interesting thing about Oak Ridge again is like, so Oak Ridge used to be like the hub of the timber industry in like that region, you know, so people, massive logging and logging industry, um, but in general, logging has dropped off across the nation. But then they were like, hey, we, we have these trails, like all the trails in Oak Ridge, for the most part, there's a few newer ones, but for the most part are like historic forest service, backcountry style trails that might be easily accessible from town, but they've been there for a very long time. So what it took was, you know, people like Mountain Bike Oregon, you know, creating a festival and a shovel and a, a shop, you know, and then um, telling people about how awesome the trails are because they, they've always been there. But if you don't know about them and you're from the other side of the nation, you're not going to go to Oak Ridge just in case, you know. What about Bentonville, Arkansas? That seems to be a hot one these days uh, with the IMBA Summit taking place there recently. And then we're seeing all kinds of stuff on different social media channels and things like that. What's going on in Bentonville? So I was just there actually uh, this past weekend, which, and it was my first time riding in Arkansas, riding in Bentonville. And I tell you what, man, they have built some amazing trails, like amazing in the sense that they put a lot of work into building their trails and not just like scratching some paths into the ground. So um, they've really invested and planned and thought and done some good things, which is is great. And I think we're seeing Bentonville rising really quickly, which is interesting. Like they built um, over 50 miles of soft, surf, soft surface trails in northwest Arkansas last year. And over the course of the next 18 months, um, they're planning to build uh, you have to check my destinations article, but it's over like another hundred or more miles of soft surface trails. So they're expanding extremely, extremely rapidly, which is interesting, even, you know, across mountain bike destinations across the nation. And as a result of that and tourism dollars being poured in by Arkansas, IMBA getting on board because they're getting payday too, right? Um, that's another topic, but we're seeing I mean, just on the trails, I was talking with people from like all over in the nation that I was just bumping into, you know, people from the Midwest um, that are going to Arkansas because it's a lot closer than Moab or Georgia, you know, and I was coming from Colorado and I talked with a transplant from Anchorage who had moved to Bentonville six months ago, you know, so it's just interesting how quickly it's growing, but it's, and it's working. It's just working, you know, which is awesome. Yeah, but clearly they have a lot of money, which a lot of communities don't. So I think that may be one of the reasons they're able to grow so quickly. And like you said, they're not just, you know, spending that money on marketing. They're putting it on the ground and really building high quality trails. Yeah, it's kind of like the same idea of like a, a meme or an idea going viral. Anything that goes viral, you know, it's it's not just because of marketing. Like sometimes a marketing push is important, but you only tell your friends about trails that you actually like had a good time riding. So it doesn't matter how good like necessarily the marketing is. Like if you go and you don't like the trails, like you're, you're going to go home and tell people, yeah, we went there, but these trails sucked, you know? So if the trails don't stand up to the hype, it's going to fall flat. But if they do, then the idea spreads and it can spread fast. So across the, the West, Tourism has been big industry driver for many years now, and most of that tourism has been winter-based, so winter-centric. So you've got skiing 
snowboarding uh, at these resorts. And that's been a, a massive driver for economies. And a lot of people like with these mountain bike tourism are really basing sort of their tourism model off of the ski industry um, and saw how the ski industry changed some of these like defunct mining towns like Park City. So Park City, Utah used to be a silver mining town. And then um, like 50, 60 years ago now, they started adding ski resorts, turned it into a ski town. But the ski industry is uh, hurting for many reasons. Like, you know, they've sort of reached saturation, they, you know, climate's changing. And even at its peak, you're still only skiing for a few months a year. So you're seeing a lot of these ski towns and Park City is a great example. Focus on mountain bike tourism as a way to turn it into a year round destination. Instead of trying to make all your money in three or four months, they're now making money all year round. And this is the resorts running their lifts, um, but it's also the lodging and all the things we talked about already. So I think some of these are the best examples of people who are actually like in resorts who are actually like investing money in building trails because they need tourism. You know, they're consciously expanding their um, their tourism offerings to be a year-round destination. Lots of times mountain biking is just one part of it, um, but in a lot of places we're seeing mountain biking become the most important part once they've done it. Park City, again, is a great example because they've seen just tourism numbers um, increase to where they're receiving more mountain bikers in the summer than they are skiers in the winter. Not to say they're making more money off the mountain bikers yet um, because, you know, it's it's definitely sort of still considered, you know, off season, but there are more mountain bikers coming. And then this expands out to a lot of resort towns all over the place from Breckenridge to Crested Butte to Durango, like up to Whitefish, Montana, over to Washington. So we're seeing this sort of across the nation and even around the globe. I mean, that's why I was in Lenzerheide, Switzerland recently, you know, known for its skiing, but they've realized they've got to double down on making summer tourism a thing or you know, they're not going to, they're not going to last. So. Yeah. And we're even seeing it at smaller resorts, you know, throughout the U S as well, you know, Midwest sort of ski Hills are now figuring out that they can offer something for mountain bikers and yeah, it, again, extend their season and hopefully improve their local economy. So what are some of the ways that these tourism destinations are getting mountain bikers to come to their town? We mentioned, Oak Ridge, Oregon, starting off with uh, sort of a mountain bike festival that was held there every year. And I believe Fruta um, did something similar as well. But let's talk about some reasons uh, that mountain bikers might want to go to a place that they haven't been before. Well, maybe you have vacation, so you got to go somewhere. You may as well go mountain biking, right? Absolutely. You know, in most places that have great mountain biking, are also going to have other outdoor activities, whether that's you know, hiking, rafting, zip lining, fishing, whatever. You know, so that makes them a good place for a family vacation, you know. So there's something to do for everybody. There's, you know, stuff that, you know, mom and dad can go do, stuff the whole family can do. And so everybody, you know, everybody gets gets to do what they want, essentially. You know, another reason would be races, in particular stage races, and, you know, stage races can be a really great way to explore a bunch of different trails in a region, you know, all at one time. Um, you know, like the BC bike race takes riders all over the province, you know, so it's, it's as much a showcase for British Columbia as a whole as it is a race. Uh, the Transylvania Epic, you know, that covers the best single track in central Pennsylvania. 
Pisgah stage race. You hit all the classic Pisgah trails. And then you've got numerous international races. You've got the Pioneer in New Zealand, the Cape Epic in South Africa, which is actually going on right now. One of the cool things about stage races is, you know, once you're there, pretty much all the logistics are handled for you. So you don't have to go out and find the goods. You know, you don't have to go and and try to bribe the local wrench at the shop with a six pack to tell you where the good trails are. Like all that's been arranged for you. So you just show up with your bike and you ride it and, uh, you know, the courses are marked and hopefully it's, a, you know, it's in the promoter's interest to be choosing good trails for the race. So, so yeah, so it's a, it's a good way to explore a lot of different trails that maybe if you tried to do it on your own, um, you know, take a lot of, a lot more legwork on your part. Of course, you've got, group rides and festivals and a quick plug for our own group ride we're doing called the brutal loop that's on april 29th up in uh lj georgia at mulberry gap one of our favorite places so yeah go to the single tracks facebook page under our events it's brutal loop it's listed on there sign up now and you'll get a really sweet knife that you can stab things with and it'll have the single tracks logo on it so that's pretty cool yeah so Group rides, festivals, you know, it pretty much seems like every town that has a mountain bike trail that's worth a damn also has a festival to go along with it. And, you know, sometimes multiple festivals over the course of the year. So they'll do a spring festival and some sort of, you know, event in the summer and then something to cap it off in the fall. You know, it's obviously mountain biking with a bunch of like-minded people. So it's a great atmosphere. They're Typically very family friendly, um, you know, there'll be food and music and a lot of times you'll have demos that coincide with these. So it's a great chance to get out on a bunch of different bikes, a bunch of really fancy new bikes and maybe start looking for your next ride. Yeah, you know, it's interesting at the last couple of Brutal Loops, you know, talking to people, for some of them, they had never been to Mulberry Gap or some of them had never even ridden uh, the trails in LJ. Like you. You'd never well, that's true. I'd never ridden Mountain Town, um, but yeah, what's cool is it might be it might seem a little intimidating to say book a stay at Mulberry Gap if you've never been or you don't know anybody who's ever been. But with these events, like Aaron said, everything is set up, and you know we, it makes it easy for you to try something out and be there with a bunch of people and have a good time. So yeah, that's that's definitely one of my favorite ways to check out a new destination. So all the things we've been talking about up to this point have been mountain biking more or less being the main focus of the trip. Uh, But I often connect mountain bike rides and exploring new trails and new places with uh, something else that's going on. This could be uh, a business trip. I know John Fish especially uh, loves to do this, to take an extra vacation day on the end of a business trip and explore a new trail. Or a family trip, like whether... Aaron touched on like the idea of vacation, but even if, like let's say, the central idea of the vacation is to do something not mountain bike related... Oftentimes, you can throw your bike on the back of the car and add in a morning ride wherever you're at. You know, a good example is my wife and I recently, uh, recently as in last year, went to California and we wanted to check out uh, Yosemite National Park and Death Valley and some of these areas around Mammoth. And mountain bike wasn't necessarily the main focus, but of course, I threw my bike on there and still got in a good handful of rides as well. So it's one of the beauties of mountain biking, especially if you're driving. You can always bring it along, add in a ride, and it's a great way to get some alone time, but also see places that maybe you wouldn't go necessarily just to ride. 
Maybe they're not these world-class destinations we're talking about, but they still have a few trails worth investigating. Right. And there is still sort of a bar that has to be cleared for me personally anyway, right? So, you know, I'm not going to bring my bike unless I know there is something that's worth riding. And so again, that's where the tourism angle comes into play. You know, that may not be the primary focus of a place, but, you know, if they do have decent trails that I've heard of, then, you know, I'm going to be more inclined to, like you said, maybe add a day onto my trip or, you know, at least bring the bike along with me. So one other thing that I think some tourism destinations are capitalizing on is showcasing their culture uh, in a unique way. So Greg, I think you experienced some of this over the summer riding in the Pyrenees um, where there are mountain bike tours set up that, you know, not only take you to show you the mountain bike trails, but a big part of that is also experiencing the culture um, in the place where you're visiting. So the food and sort of getting, getting to know the local architecture and all that kind of stuff, it can really work well with a mountain bike trip. And a mountain bike, um, in my opinion, is a really great way to really immerse yourself in a culture. You know, it's different than sitting on a tour bus and looking out your window. You know, you're, you're actually there, you're in it, you're talking to people, um, you're on the ground and seeing things, you know, in a lot more detail. So what are some of the minimal things that are necessary for mountain bike tourism to be attractive to mountain bikers? Well, good trails or great trails would be first and foremost, but then you've got to have, um, you know, some level of amenities. You have food, beer is always a huge plus, uh, places to stay, whether that's campground or hotels. Yeah. But, you know, that said, um, if the trails are good enough, people will come. You know, I think Oak Ridge, we've touched on a few times, but it's hard to get to. So that's a good example of a place that doesn't have a ton of infrastructure still, uh, but they have such amazing trails that people will do the work to get there. So obviously we aren't community planners or tourism experts ourselves, but what are some potential pitfalls that communities might fall into when trying to attract mountain bikers? Uh, You could possibly be overselling some really boring trails. Yes. We've seen that in some destinations for sure. Yeah, I think that's a, a big issue. Again, if you go and the trails don't measure up, like that's a problem. There's a, And above and beyond the trails being boring, there's a few different things that can also be a bad thing. So one is lack of trail diversity. So some places might have just like XC trails, you know, which again, I could be under the boring. But even if you only have like super gnar like enduro trails, um, that are super technical and just like downhill focused. That's not a great uh, draw either because, you know, what if you've got kids or what if you've got a partner who doesn't ride as gnarly of trails as you do? Or what if you don't ride those trails? You know, then you're not going to be interested in that destination. So having good trail diversity and good spread across the spectrum is sort of key to being a like a all encompassing mountain bike destination. So um, for more on this, I've got a good article called modest proposal building mountain bike trails for everyone and that sort of outlines my idea of that but uh, in addition to like lack of diversity and boring trails if you don't have enough trails like you don't actually have like a destination that people are going to visit more than like once so 50 miles does not a destination make you know and in my opinion if you can ride all the trails in like four or five days like for an average rider let's say like the average rider rides like 20 30 miles a day for five days, if he covers all the trails in that time, 
that's not like a real destination. You know, maybe it's a destination once, maybe you go for a weekend. Um, but again, this sort of brings back to cold water. Like Jeff was saying, like, will people stay overnight to ride at cold water? Probably not, you know, but it is what it is. Right. Well, I, w- I would push back on that a little and say, again, cold water is somewhere that people do go over and over. Aaron's probably been several times in the last year. Well, when you live there, right? Like if you're close, but if you're like coming across the nation, you know? Yeah. So I think there are different types of destinations. You know, I think there are like sort of weekend multi-trip destinations. And then there are others like, you know, Moab, for example, where somebody might go once every 10 years or once in a lifetime. You know, I think those, those are two different sort of business models, but I think they're both definitely, I would call them tourism related. Yeah, I'd also say, I mean, you, you said if you're riding 20 to 30 miles a day for four or five days in a row, that's a lot of that's a lot of riding. You know, you're talking anywhere from 80 to 150 miles. So that would, I don't know, in my book, that would make it a destination. But um, Sounds like a stage race. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That sounds, <laughs> sounds exactly like a race. Yeah. Uh, I would also say, you know, not having enough amenities. There are definitely some people who are willing to rough it. Uh, it's kind of easier to do if you're on your own or with a small group of like-minded people. But, um, you know, once your group gets too big or if you've got kids or something like that, um, maybe roughing it is not going to be their idea of a fun trip. Um, you know, lack of marketing could be another issue. You know, if you have awesome trails, but you're not good about getting the word out or if you have an event, but you don't promote it early enough and loud enough, that can definitely be a, uh, an issue as well. Another big issue, which, you know, we've talked about how mountain bikers are willing to overcome this, but this can be a tough sell if you're the destination, but if you, if it's hard to access your town, um, especially for people traveling from a long ways away, that can be a big barrier. So if you don't have a nearby airport, if you don't have a, shuttle from your nearby airport, you know, if people, if there's not public transportation to move people around, like basically if somebody has to have a car to get to where you are and then, and then to get from there to the trails, like that's going to be an additional barrier that's going to make it more uh, difficult. And some people might not make that leap to go to the Oak Ridges of the nation. Yeah. And Greg, as you mentioned at the top of the podcast, you know, with any of these destinations or these plans to make tourism uh, an important part of an economy, there's a lot of risk involved in that. You know, there's nothing that says, you know, if you build it, they will come, you know, because there are so many pieces involved in it. So I, I would say one of the pitfalls to avoid is just assuming that you're, you know, anywhere can make themselves into a destination. You know, it's not a matter of throwing enough money at it. It's not a matter of doing any of these things alone. Um, you have to have sort of all the pieces. So, um, at least knowing that before you get started, I think is important for anyone who's trying to do that. Cool. Well, this has been a good discussion. Hopefully it's been enlightening a little bit. If you want more information about mountain bike tourism, uh, we have a handy infographic that we put together a year or two ago about mountain bike tourism uh, that talks a little bit more about where people go, how far they're traveling, how long they want to stay, all that kind of stuff. So if you're working in the tourism industry, it's definitely something to check out and could be a good resource. That's all we've got this week. We'll talk to you again next week. Peace.